Meeting the people in your community. Here's Lisa Kay with Talk of the Town. Time for Talk of the Town and one of our most requested and waited for guests, our friend Al Bat, on the line with us this morning. Hey, Al, how are you doing? Lisa, I am doing wonderfully well. It's uh, it's kind of a, a windy day a little bit, but you know what would we do without the weather? Absolutely. It gives, it gives us something to talk about and to live in, so it's a pretty good thing. And uh, I guess when, uh, when I was born here, I should have known that the weather would not always be perfect in Minnesota. Well, you know, you morphed right into my uh, country morning show this morning when we were doing a little spelling bee here in the studio just with each other playing some games. And I asked my counterpart to spell the word ornithologist. Ah, And cool. I said, that's because Al's on the show with me today. So <laughs> had a little bit of sunshine yesterday. That was good because it's been kind of gray. So, yes. It, it was extremely nice. It's amazing what it... The best thing the sun does in the winter, it, it certainly warms things, but it's our attitude. Oh, we yeah. Just, we perk up is what we do when the sun is shining. We just, all of a sudden, we're just in a better mood, and <laughs> I think more smiles come out. Right, absolutely. And I, I realized yesterday I forgot my sunglasses because I hadn't needed them for so long. So <laughs> made sure to put those in the car. Um, I did have a question, though, this morning from actually somebody here um, at work who said, why am I seeing the, the robins in the wintertime? I thought they went somewhere else. Yeah, and you know, uh, for uh, all my life, we thought of winter robins as uh, interim birds. Just for one reason or another, they ended up here, and uh, you know, they used to say there was a lot of food, that's why they'd be here, and there was just things going on in their lives that it made sense for them to stay. They said, boy, migration's just a hassle, you know, the airports are filled, we're just going to stay here. <laughs> Now scientists are uh, studying these robins, and they're finding that there are migratory robins, and there are those that don't migrate. So they found that these groups, these two groups, interbreed very little, Hmm. and there may be some genetic differences. So overwintering robins tend to travel in flocks, and we'll see them in 40 or 50 birds. And they like residing in ravines, riparian areas, and other wooded areas where they have open water source. And robins survive in the winter on the fruit of trees like buckthorn, crabapple, cherry, mountain ash, hackberry, and hawthorn. And robins seldom visit our feeders, but if they do, uh, they might eat raisins, currants, blueberries, or small pieces of suet placed on the ground or a platform feeder. So we see them here every year, and they hang around here, and we, you know, I sometimes think, why are they doing that? Why wouldn't they fly somewhere to make life a lot simpler? But again, the migration is a, uh, it's a dangerous thing, too. They have to migrate two different ways. There's hawks out there. There's things that can fly into them. They, if they fly to Missouri, somewhere in Missouri, 
they're not sure there's going to be food where they're going. Uh, something terrible could happen. So I think sometimes they just roll the dice, and now all of a sudden we got to that point where their grandparents didn't migrate, their parents didn't migrate, so maybe they're not going to migrate. Mm. But we've kind of divided it up into two groups. So we have robins here, and I, I welcome their company, and I... You know, you just look at them and say, boy, I hope you're doing okay, Robin. Is, is that the same thing with morning doves, if we see them in the winter? It's pretty much, we get morning doves. Uh, most morning doves will move south, but some are year-round residents, especially in the southern part of our beautiful state. And if they find food, cracked corn, millet, or safflower seeds that are feeders and water to drink, they can withstand winter. And off the subject a little bit, a dove has a structure in their throats that produces pigeon milk or crop milk for nestlings. And the milk looks and smells like cheese, and it has some (laughs) nutrients found in cow's milk. So a morning dove gives milk to its young doves. So they're, they're wonderful birds. And again, I like having them. And we do see a lot of uh, the Eurasian collared doves. They look so much bigger. I was watching one at the feeder here, and it just looks huge. Looks like their tail is a morning dove's tail. It's been uh, somebody took a scissors to it and cut the end off. Hmm. And then they have a ring around the collar. And they hang around here all year. So we hear them in the wintertime uh, doing their call and uh, I love seeing both those doves there's just something about a dove and a morning dove is one of the few birds that we notice damage in winter sometimes sometimes their feet uh, will get frostbitten and have some troubles in the cold and so what happens what do you suggest people do if they find an injured bird in the winter or I mean any time of year is there something we can do or do we do we leave it First, if you want to do something about it, pat yourself on the back for being a nice person that cares about an injured bird. If you find one, you make the bird as comfortable as possible. And this would also apply to if you find an animal, a possum, squirrel, whatever you find. Uh, Call the Wildlife Rehab Rehabilitation Center of Minnesota, and it's located in Roseville. And uh, the number is 651-486-9453. And I know you have nothing ready to write that down, but if you check online, it's a Wildlife Rehabilitation Center. If you find an injured raptor, so eagle, hawk, owl, falcon, contact the University of Minnesota Raptor Center. Mm. And uh, it's a it's a major league pet hospital there that uh, concentrates on avian uh, especially raptors there at 612-624-4745. But again, uh, look, go online. You can find that. They have volunteers around uh, the state that will very often be able to pick up your injured animal and take it to the Twin Cities. Oh. I know not everybody, uh, the big goal in their life is to make an extra trip to the Twin Cities in the wintertime. So they do have people that will do that for you. Well, there is a special place for those people, I think. I, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other winter questions that people have had about squirrels and, and their nests and how that all survives during the winter time. You know, I, yesterday I drove along the edge, not too far from a lake, and there was a big king tree, the tallest tree there. 
And there were three squirrel nests in that one tree, uh, all of them high into the tree, one way up at the top, and then one a little bit lower, and then another one a little bit lower. Uh, uh, two, one was kind of in the middle, and then one on each side as it went down. They have well-engineered leaf nests, and they're called drays, and they're constructed from twigs, leaves, moss, and other material. And the twigs are often gnawed from a tree when the leaves are still intact. And then they, they're loosely woven together to create a floor of the nest. And then a squirrel adds stability by packing damp leaves and moss on top of the twig platform to reinforce the structure. So you have a spherical frame that is woven around the base forming the outer shell. And it's finished by stuffing it with leaves, moss, twigs, uh, even paper. Uh, we had one in the yard here. Had It looked like an ad that must have blown out on the highway or something. <laughs> and they'd put that in there as part of the outer shell. And the inner cavity of these drays, this leaf nest, is lined with shredded bark, grass, and leaves. And the thick walls, they keep wind and water and snow from penetrating the interior. They keep cold air out and warm air in. Uh, Bern Heinrich, I love his book, is called Winter World. And he wrote of a 12-inch diameter dray having 26 layers of flattened, dried, and overlapped oak leaves put in there like shingles. Hmm. And he said they just, uh, it's a... A remarkable engineering feat by these squirrels. Wow. And do they, uh, some of it's instinctual, but the scientists that have studied this a bit said that they learn too. So they don't start out being the greatest uh, dray builder on earth, but they have to make mistakes and maybe learn from another squirrel. I know that you're on social media a little bit. I've been watching, and I don't even remember, uh, you know, one of those videos that pops up every once in a while when you watch one about wildlife, they keep sending you more. Yep. And uh, there was one that had, and I must have been in a, like a New York or someplace busy, but there was a little squirrel, a little red squirrel with like tufted ears, and it was building its nest, just like you talked about, on somebody's windowsill. So they had a window view into the nest. Oh, my goodness. And so it was pretty neat. But they had, you know, she made the nest and the babies came and then the cat sat in the window and watched. And oh, <laughs> so no, that'd be wonderful. And, and how nice for the cat to be able to see something like that. You know, they, they cats, uh, cats find more entertainment in the window. We should all find as much entertainment in a window as a cat does. I feel like my cat just wants to get out. It's like cat TV. It, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I wanted to ask about um, sparrows and what kind of things, do we want the sparrows near the house? Like the house sparrows, do they, do they need anything from us? I just remember sparrows when I was a child, my dad mowing the lawn and them dive bombing us. House sparrows are, uh, I grew up, we had livestock, so they, they were ubiquitous. Everywhere we looked, they were in the barn, the machine shed, mm -hmm. the garage, they were pretty much everywhere. And, I, you know, in January, they're out there chirping away cheerfully, and I, I kind of appreciate that. But if you're a bluebirder, you don't like them very much because they will uh, ruin bluebird eggs mm -hmm. uh, trying to take over the nest. Uh, 
so a lot of people don't like them. Uh, I, I can't. I find it hard to not like any bird. <laughs> I, I like them all, I guess. So it's. Uh, should we have them around? I guess they're going to be around there. Their numbers are declining for uh, many reasons. In uh, the UK, they're declining drastically because of, they figure, urbanization. Mm. They love millet and crack corn. So millet is that real small, tiny seed. If you put those two things out, you're going to get house sparrows sooner or later. Uh, two of their least favorite feeder foods are safflower and striped sunflower seeds. The striped sunflower seeds are kind of gray and they're much bigger than the black oil sunflower seeds. Uh, cardinals and larger birds will like the striped sunflower seeds. House sparrows not so much. I don't know uh, I don't know if you could get rid of house sparrows. I know people live trap them and everything because they're not a protected bird. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, I find a, a bit of joy in their um, their chirping. And when I uh, I was working in the UK for a while, and people had images of house sparrows on their hats and their sweatshirts and everything, because to there it was a, a cheerful little garden bird. But they do not have bluebirds there, so it's oh, a, a sure. whole different uh, whole different way of looking at the house sparrow in that. Well, I know my mom is, my mom's from Korea, and we did, uh, when I was growing up, she had a lot of stories, the folklore from there, often, yep. often about sparrows, and oh. how people treat sparrows, and what that says about their their humanity, and their morality, and all of that, so um, the one story in particular um, that I'm remembering from my childhood about two brothers, and one of them was the good brother, and one was the bad brother, and one treated the sparrow well, one did not, and the sparrow would bring back a seed that that they planted and uh, great wealth and things came out of the plants and then the, the bad brother got a bad seed and snakes and all the bad things came out of what grew. Oh. <laughs> so it was, that's what I think of when I think of sparrows too. What a great story. I love stories. Yeah. And house sparrows, you know, they aren't, it's not a personal vendetta from them in any way to get after us for, they, they're just doing what house sparrows do. <laughs> Leave them alone maybe, that's it. I El- saw one nesting on December 7th. I shouldn't say nesting, but building a nest. One year we had an open winter on December 7th. Uh, One guy in the neighborhood actually baled hay just so he could show that he baled hay and the (laughs) local TV station came out and filmed him. But uh, the sparrows were building a nest in our barn on December 7th, so they're an optimistic group. Yeah, right. Well, I, maybe to keep warm in the middle and of December. <laughs> Al Bat, our guest on Talk of the Town today. Al, crow or raven, what are we seeing? You know, if I look out here in my yard, I'm seeing a crow. And I, I love Robert Frost's poem. It said, The way a crow shook down on me, the dust of snow from a hemlock tree has given my heart a change of mood and saved some part of a day I had rude. Mm. Uh, A crow heralds its presence with a caw. So if you're hearing caw, that's a crow. And a raven's call is sort of a hoarse, deep cronk, I guess I would call it. Ravens are considerably larger than crows. They have, they're bills are much more robust and a raven sports a shaggy beard of pointed feathers and its tail is 
I'd call it diamond-shaped in flight with its wings and aerial behavior appearing raptor-like, like a hawk. Okay. And a crow has a fan-shaped tail, has a rounder wing shape in flight. Uh, ravens are icons of northern Minnesota. They seldom venture far from where they were hatched, while crows are common city dwellers that are found throughout the state. Northern Minnesota crows may drift southward far enough to find food. And in fall and winter, we'll see it now, crows form these huge flocks. But ravens are expanding their range south. Uh, Sightings in the Twin Cities area are becoming more and more common. If you want to see one crow that is bigger than any raven in the state, Go to Belgrade, Minnesota. There's an 18-foot crow sitting atop (laughs) a 31-foot-long branch on a 25-foot-tall cement pedestal. (laughs) I have taken umpteen photos of that. Every every time I go by, I take another photo. I'm not sure why, but I have uh, cornered the market on those photos, I think. (laughs) Do you know if uh, crows and ravens behave the same way? I've heard of crows attaching to humans sometimes and bringing trinkets and things like that? Yeah, and there was a story uh, in it was social media gold here a couple years ago about a young lady that would put out something for the crows and then they would bring her trinkets and things in return saying, hey, thanks, here you go, I thought you might like this. So they are both extremely smart. Uh, They uh, get into mischief sometimes because they need to be entertained because they're so smart. They just uh, do amazing things, Uh, both crows and ravens. uh, They're a member of the corvid family, and a blue jay is also a member of that. So they're very smart birds, and uh, I I've seen videos of them sledding down the snow on the roof. Mm-hmm. Or they I forget what they had, a lid or something. Something they were like that. Yeah, up I there. think so. Then they'd stand on it, slide down, and then they carry the lid back up there and you know, there's no reason they're doing that other than just uh, entertainment. Have like. a little bit of fun, huh? Yep. All right. Uh, with the price of eggs uh, on, in the news, everybody's talking about that. Somebody had asked about um, their chickens and watching their chickens preen. Um, and, and why do they why do they do that? And are they waterproofing their feathers? Do they need to? There's a lot. I know so many folks that have chickens. It, it's incredible. Uh, some of them have built these little wheeled uh, chicken coop that you can push across the lawn and then set it down so the chickens can remain inside that coop and feed on the grass and things. Of course, they don't do a lot of that here in the winter, but when we have grass, uh, preening is a bird's way of grooming its feathers to keep them in good condition. So preening removes dust, dirt, parasites from feathers, and it very important that it aligns each feather in the optimum position relative to the adjacent feathers. This alignment optimizes insulation, keeps them warm, it creates a more attractive mate. So if you're the rooster chicken out there, you want to look pretty cool so the hens go for you. And for our songbirds, it makes for a more efficient flight, and it reduces friction and wear, because maybe you only get one molt a year, you got to keep those feathers in good shape. Mm. The oil produced by the uropigial, or preen gland, or oil gland, found near the base of the tail, 
helps with this friction reduction. And this gland produces an oily, waxy substance that adds waterproofing to feathers and keeps them flexible and strong. It helps the feathers withstand the stress of flight, and birds reach back to their tail. Chickens do this. They get that oil, and then they spread it to their feathers. Yeah. Uh, Preen oil is a major source of avian body odor. So if you have a chicken and you hold that chicken, you know, they have a a body odor. It's not (laughs) unpleasant. And I used to think, well, it's just something to do with what they're eating and things. But apparently this preen oil is a major source of avian body odor. So you can look for a chicken deodorant little uh, <laughs> roll-on probably at the local drugstore soon. Oh, right. Well, we'll be on the uh, search for that. Hey, Albat, it's so good to have you on the show. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us. And each month we talk to you during the winter, we're looking for maybe new things that we see in our yard. And so uh, I can't wait to talk to you again and see what kind of questions our listeners have next time with you. Sounds great, Lisa. Everybody look for snow fleas. They'll be coming soon. And uh, I leave you all with two words. Uh, Thank you.